17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that it is so understandable, yet the depths of the mysteries in it are amazing. God, I pray today that you would please fill me afresh with your spirit for this service. God, please let me be spirit-led in all that I say. And God, I pray for the hearts of your people that they would be tilled up now and the seed that is planted would bear fruit for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing to go through the book of Romans. We're on chapter 9. And uh, like I said, chapter 9 isn't hard to understand. It's hard to accept, especially we as Americans, where we want to be free and in control of everything, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And uh, I understand that. Again, I don't believe that the Bible was written for only scholars. God knew that the majority of people that were going to read it were just common folk like you and I. And so he made it understandable. But there are things in it that sometimes we just look at and we go, wow, how could that be? And so we come into this, what I call a crisis of faith that I was in. You know, you believe one thing and all of a sudden you read the scripture and you go, boy, that's what it says and I can't get around it. So I have a choice to make. Either believe something that I find hard to believe but is very clear in God's word or continue on with what I want to believe. And uh, so today... I want you to know we're not doing what we normally do. This is going to be a topical message, okay? And the reason being is there are some things that you kind of got to go through the entire Word of God to kind of piece together. And, you know, like, for example, our triune God. Uh, It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that we have a triune God, but as you read the Word of God, it's very clear to see that that's uh, what it says. And so today we are going to kind of... uh, look through scripture and find some answers to some questions that you might have. Uh, Actually, the questions for me came out of Romans chapter 9, verse 17, so I thought I'd answer it. Uh, It's about sovereignty and sin. What is God's sovereignty? God's sovereignty is his exercise of rule over his creation. As the sovereign king, he rules over all of his creation. And we have some values that we have in this church and the foundational value is this one right here which was hanging up over there and there are all kinds of truths in this one statement take a look the triune god one statement right there i mean you could preach just on that and then the next thing is supreme another whole sermon and sovereign another one over all things touching on that today For why? For his own glory. That lays the foundation. There's so much packed in there. And so what we see is that God is sovereign over all things. Over all things. Now whether God permits something to happen or causes it directly, he wills it. Why? Because he allows something to happen that he could stop if he wanted to. Because if God's omnipotent, then he can stop anything. Or he brings it about himself. 
So my main point today is this. God is sovereign over all things, including evil, to fulfill his purposes for his glory and our good. This is going to be a tough one, I'm telling you right now. And so hang with me to the end because it's one truth built on the next. First of all, God is abs- there's absolutely nothing outside of God's sovereign control. All means all. That includes evil. Take a look at God's word. Look at what's happening. Job, okay? Satan goes to God as it's recorded. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. He goes to God and he says, yeah, no wonder Job serves you. You bless him. Nothing tough happens in his life. And so God says, all right. And here's God's response. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And what happened? In case you don't know the story, Job's, all of his children were killed by raiders who marauded, took everything he had, stole everything. He was a very wealthy man. Now he's broke. Everything that he had is gone. His kids were killed. Every bit of wealth that he had, and he was really wealthy, was gone. And he had these boils all over him. Physically, he was just hurting bad. Okay? So, if you're the wife of a guy like this, and all this happens, what are you thinking? You're thinking, and you're going to keep worshiping this God? You're going to keep worshiping this God. And Job responded to her in Job chapter 2, verse 10. He says this, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Then we go to Proverbs 16:4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And Psalm 76:10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you shall put on like a belt. So we run into this problem. If God is sovereign over all things, everything, because he's either sovereign over all things or he's really not sovereign over anything. He's got to be sovereign over all things. That means even the difficult things that happen. Because think about this. Now we're going to try to put everything through as logically as I can. If evil came and God didn't want it to come, then is God all-powerful? No, he's not omnipotent because he couldn't stop it from coming. So if evil came though God didn't want it, is is he really omnipotent? Could more unintended evil come that God can't control? God's not sovereign over it if it happened once it can happen again maybe if God couldn't stop it the first time what in the world makes you think he could stop it the second time or third or fourth and how is he going to triumph over it he didn't the first time it came and here's one Romans chapter 8 verse 28 all things will work for the good for those who believe and are called according to his purposes. How can that be true if God is not sovereign over all things? 
How can we say all things work for the good? Because all things means all things. It's not a secret word in there that all means something else. It means all things. And God is working something. So how could that be? How could God make a promise that ultimately he didn't have control over fulfilling if he's not all-powerful, sovereign over all things? Because that's got to be where you go if God isn't sovereign over all things, including evil. Makes us uncomfortable. God is, was clearly willing to let Satan exist. Clearly. Otherwise, he could have destroyed him like that. Right? If God didn't want Satan to exist, just like that, it's done. If he can create everything we see out of nothing, then Satan's not a problem. And he could have eliminated him immediately. What we do see in God's word is that Satan isn't ultimate. He's real. He's very real. I have experiences in my own life with uh, things like that. And you know what? He's real. But he's not ultimate. And he can only go as far as God allows him to. That's what's happening in Job. He says, you could do whatever you want, but you're not going to take his life. That's it. Satan can only go so far as God allows him to go. No further. That's it. So why? Why didn't God just eliminate Satan right away? Evil's gone. None of the, the darkness that is covering the world now. Evil men making evil plans. Innocent people suffering. This makes no sense. Why? Why didn't he do that? Well, so many times we find ourselves asking the wrong questions. Remember last week we read through and the question was, is God just? And as we looked in Romans, uh, I think it was chapter or verses uh, 13 through 18, the question was, is God just? And then God answers the question in the word of God, and he never talks about justice. He talks about mercy. So basically the question was, that was asked was wrong. And so now today we ask it, what is the question we're asking? Really what we're thinking about is this. How in the world can the fact that there is evil in the world glorify God in any way? Because everything that God does, everything God does, from before creation till the end of time here and for all eternity, okay, all that time, everything God does is for his glory. See, that's why it says on the bottom here, for his glory. That's the purpose. So when we ask a question like, why is there evil in the world? Because somehow if there's evil in the world, God is more glorified than if there weren't. That's the premise. Take a look at God's word again. Romans chapter 9, 17. This is what stirred the question up. For the scripture says of Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. What happened? Ten plagues. Pharaoh is the, the leader of the known world. And the ten plagues come. And then they, they let Israelites leave. And then they, they're chasing them. And the, the Red Sea covers over, covers over the Egyptian army. Why? Well, God tells us right there. He says, to, that I might show my power. That I am the only true God. And what? And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. His glory. 
He says, it's about my glory. I did these things. This is what happened. I allowed those things to happen because I, I want to make my name great in all the earth. I am worthy. And then it goes on in verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. That word keeps coming up, the glory of God, over and over again. Now we look at Ephesians 1, 11 through 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, all things, according to the counsel of his will. God doesn't need counsel. He's all wise. So he works everything according to his will. He's got a purpose. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. If you're a Christian today and you're a believer, and you go, why did God save me? Right? Because I know me. And I'm thinking, God, you didn't win the lottery when, you, when I became a Christian, okay? I still struggle. So why me, God? It tells you right there. For God's glory. You were saved for God's glory. All your messed up life, the struggles that you have, the times that you obey and the times that you don't, somehow what happens is God shows his great glory through your life. That he would save someone like me? He would love someone like me? Yeah. That brings glory to God. What a God. We go down. Habakkuk. Okay. I've been here almost 20 years. I think I probably quoted Habakkuk three times. But this one is a great verse that relates to what we're saying. Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, somehow, if God is, causing, is, is sovereign over all things and the purpose where he's leading everything is for his glory, if that's the case, then that means this, that somehow God is more magnificently glorified in a world with Satan and evil than if Satan and evil were destroyed immediately. Why? Because what's the question? How does this glorify God more? So if God allowed Satan and allowed evil, then there's got to be a purpose for it, and God's purpose is to glorify his great name, so somehow it must glorify him greater. And the best way that I can, I, I try to give you a little word picture. If I had a flashlight right now, I turned it on. You'd say, well, that's a nice flashlight, Dan. Nice light. But then I took this room and I completely blacked it out. And I threw that light on you go, boy, that light is bright. That's really bright. Why? Because the backdrop is darkness. And we see the brightness of that light. It seems to shine all the brighter. Because of the darkness. That's why when you, as I said, when you go to a, a place, a jewelry place, and you want to buy a ring, a diamond ring, what do they put it on? Black velvet. Darkness, and you see how it shimmers, how it shines. So somehow, God must be more glorified. He must be proclaimed even more magnificent because of the evil that is happening in the world. Somehow that works. Well, God doesn't just watch evil events unfold with no design. 
or purpose, and then somehow bring about good. In other words, God isn't reacting to something that he's going, oh, wow, that caught me off guard. But God has a purpose in these things. Take a look. Again, God's word. We're going to keep going back to God's word. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph. Okay, what happened to Joseph? Here's, if we sum it up, Joseph is, has got brothers. His brothers are jealous of him. Here's what they do to him. They jump him. They stick him in a hole. And the first guy that comes by, he, they sell their own brother as a slave. Tell me how there's any good in that. If that were you, would you be praising God? And then he goes to Egypt. He's thrown in jail. He's, he's a slave, all these other things. And finally what happens is eventually he comes to a place where he's the king. Or he's not the king. The Pharaoh raises him up. And what, ha- what does Pharaoh do? He says, listen, you were the one that saw what my dream was because God had given him the answer. And so he said, for the next seven years, Joseph grabbed all the food, saved it in, in huge areas. And then when the famine hit after seven years, literally Egypt fed the world. But how did it start? Brothers who hated him threw him in a hole and sold him as a slave. Now he's standing in front of his brothers, the ones that threw him in the hole. And look at what he says, Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Hard things, evil things can happen in your life. God's got purposes in those things. It's not easy to go through them, but God's got a purpose. He's going to do something. How many times have I shared difficult things in my life? And God's getting the glory because I'm able to share what God was doing. At the time, I didn't see God in it. I was struggling. I was angry. But God was doing something in spite of me. Look at Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old? For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things not yet done. He's saying, I'm sovereign over it all. That's what it says there. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of my counsel from a far country. He's going to bring the people he's going to use to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. For I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. doesn't sound like there's a lot of flex in that statement, is there? What God's saying in his word. Now we go to Acts chapter 4. One of the, one of the most cruel, there's a statement being made here. You want to talk about injustice. There was no greater injustice, probably no greater sin in the entire world than the people who decided to crucify Jesus. None. Absolutely innocent. And they got together, they brought Christ to be crucified. The most evil act in all of history. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 4, 27 through 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. What did they say? The peoples of Israel and and the Gentiles were standing there, and Pilate says, what should I do? Who do you want? Barabbas or Jesus? 
We want Barabbas. What should I do with Jesus? Crucify him. So they did. Look at what it says here. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Part of God's plan to glorify his great name. One of the greatest evils in all the world. I found this quote from Spurgeon. Providence says whatever God ordains must be, but the wisdom of God never ordains anything without a purpose. Everything in this world is working for some great end. That's why I don't walk in fear today, guys. You know, I see the world coming apart at its seams. I see what appears to be evil people in places of authority bringing hurt and harm on others. I see that. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. But you know what? I trust God. Is God sovereign over all things? Yeah, he is. So all this craziness that's happening, does God got a purpose in it? Yeah, he does. What is it? I don't know. It's going to glorify his name, but I don't know how it's going to do that. But I rest in the fact that God is sovereign. And all the crazy stuff that's happening, God is sovereign. He's in charge. God ordains evil to fulfill his purposes. What are some of those purposes? If you're a Christian, some of those purposes are to sanctify you, to make you more like Jesus. You know those hard things that happen? My family in the last 10 months has gone through my niece being murdered. 30 days ago, my mom died. Two weeks ago, my wife's mom died. Why? Why was the evil upon my niece? Why? What was going on? Well, you know what? God is building a testimony. He's building a testimony to be able to say, you know what, I still trust God all through that. God is still good. He's working something in me too. It's making me more like Jesus. Will I trust him more? Will, I, will he work that thing deep into my heart? So sometimes these evil things happen because God is doing a work in our hearts and he's wanting to make us more like Jesus, sanctifying us, holiness, same thing. Sometimes it's to discipline us. You know, we want to walk in sin and God just says, oh, well, okay, I'll let, you, I'll let you sin. And all of a sudden, you're in a place where you go, how did I get here? It's to bring us to a place of repentance. You know, I, I will never forget I will never forget an interview that uh, James Dobson had with Ted Bundy, one of the most famous serial killers. In that interview, Ted Bundy said this. He said, the reason I ended up where I'm at, he said, right now I know, is because it all started with pornography. He said, it started with this type of pornography, and then it got to this type, and then it got to this type, and then I had to do it. You see, his sin overwhelmed him. God was bringing him to this place of being at the end of himself. How many people do I know that are addicted to something and they just get to the place where they're just, they just give up? They say, I can't handle life. I can't handle it, God. Everything is coming apart. If you want my life, you can have it. So sometimes God allows all that evil to happen that we've brought upon ourselves to reap to the place where we are at the bottom of our life and we look up and we say, God, forgive me. If you, I remember praying this, God, if you want my life, as trashy as it is, you can have it. 
you can have it. Because God didn't win the lottery when he called me to himself. He didn't win the lottery. But he was doing something. He was glorifying his name. Even back then, through all the stuff that was happening. And I'm up front here preaching today because of what God has done. He wanted to glorify his name through me. And all the stuff, the beat up things that have happened, all point to the glory of God, even the hard things. I trust God. God's got purposes. Those purposes are to bring holiness to our to our lives, maybe bring us to repentance, maybe to bring loss to himself, and sometimes it's even as a judgment on somebody who sins. Because you want it, you can have it. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. God uses those things. We can see that God uses evil to bring about good purposes, but he never allows his children to do that. You know, if you're a parent today, you got a really sharp knife at your house. You know how to use it, don't you? Would you hand that to a five-year-old? Well, no. That's ridiculous. They're going to hurt themselves. God is sovereign over all things. Only he can do the things he does. And so we trust him. We don't understand how it works, but we trust him. What are some of the examples of God providentially using evil for his ultimately good purposes? They're numerous. We just talked about Joseph. We just talked about Job, right? We can continue on with, with people like Jonah. Read about Jonah. The, 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 the sailors who threw him into the sea were repenting as they were throwing him into the sea. They were talking to God. And God was using that in Jonah's life to get Jonah aligned up with some things. And then he would go to Nineveh and hundreds of thousands of people would be saved. It's amazing. And we look at the crucifixion. Paul, what about Paul? Look at all the things Paul went through. He says, I am in prison. I'm in prison for the glory of God. Would you say that? I mean, the prisons back then weren't like they are now. And he's saying, I am here for the glory of God that his name might be glorified. In prison. He got it. He got it. That God was doing something even in the difficult things. Even in, through the evil of men, God was working something for his glory. Now I want you to know that God uses evil for his purposes, but he never does evil. He never does evil. He is not, uh, he never does evil, and he never causes evil. He never takes pleasure in evil. And he is not to blame for evil. Take a look at God's word again. James. 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So you know that. You're not tempted by God. But why am I tempted? God might stand back and let it happen, but he's not the one tempting you. Look at this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desires. Because we're sinners and we like sin. Yes. And it goes on. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We think about it. Sin starts in our head. We think about it, and we ah, should I, shouldn't I, meh. And finally, we give in to that temptation. What happens? We sin, and the results are death. And in Matthew 18, 7, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary. Look at that. 
Isn't that incredible what that just says? For it is necessary that temptations come. So there must be a purpose in all that. But woe to the one to whom the temptation comes. Woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And John Calvin, this quote, Through the bad wills of evil men, God fulfills what he righteously wills. God is doing something. We don't get it. In a way that we can't understand and is not revealed to us, God ordains evil to be done by secondary causes, by fallen angels and by people. We're actually going to talk about that more next week. So there's my hook for next week, coming in and listening to the sermon. And what happens is these either fallen angels or humans willingly choose to do evil. God doesn't force them. They willingly choose to do evil. And then they're responsible for it. They willingly do it. God didn't force uh, Pontius Pilate to say crucify him. He didn't didn't force the people to say that. Their human nature said, yeah, I like sin. I'm against righteousness, and you know what? That makes sense. And you see, what we find is that this, evil and sin come forth differently than obedience and holiness. They happen differently. God, There's a different role that God has in those. Take a look at God's word again. Romans 7, 18 through 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but do not have the ability to carry it out. I want to do what honors God, but I don't do it. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm frustrated. I believe that this is true, that you're, you're God, and yet I'm still sinning, and that frustrates me. And he goes on, and he says, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Why? Why, why, why? And then he comes, who can help me? Who can save me from this body of sin? So somehow sin still is a part of our lives as long as we're on this earth. And we are sinners, so we default to sin. We do. Well, then God's word shows us, how do we overcome that? How does obedience happen in our lives? How does that occur? That's a work of God. Look at what it says in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God has, for all who have believed in Christ as Lord and Savior, who have said, you know what, Lord, I am separated from you for all eternity because I have sinned. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I deserve punishment, for the wages of sin is death. And God, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me. Lord, and what happens is the great exchange. All the sins that you would commit in your life, Jesus was punished for. And Jesus, who was perfect, lived without sin and thought, word, or deed. It's considered as if you did that in your account. And God says, come on in. Come on in. It's not what we did. It's what God has done in Christ. And what we see here is he said, when that happens, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he empowers us. He's the one who's doing this work in us. When you are tempted and you don't succumb to that temptation, you can thank the Holy Spirit. He empowered you. You can thank him. Thank you, Lord. And so what happens is he says, 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. We all get that, don't we? We feel that battle inside. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I don't ever want to sin. I don't. I still struggle with sin. Why? What happens? I'm still Dan down deep. I'm still a sinner. And so how does God work obedience, and how is that different than disobedience? How does that happen? What we see is this, is that God brings about obedience by a positive influence. His spirit dwells within us. He empowers us to do what we, when we walk in obedience. We need to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin, and he broke the power of sin over you. You can walk in freedom. You can, you can do that because that's what the cross did. And we know that, that Satan is not ultimate. That if you're bound in the, this morning in the prayer room, there's a guy that we were praying for. He's, he got a struggle with drug addiction. And he's bound by that. And we are praying, God, break that stronghold. God, do a miracle in his life. God does those types of things. And so what we see is, is that God's word says that when, he, when we walk in holiness, when we walk in obedience, God's spirit is empowering us. It's all about Jesus. I keep saying that, but it is. It's all about Jesus. He calls us. He empowers us. He, he is changing us to become more like Christ. So if that's the case, if it's the Holy Spirit empowering us, and that's how we can walk in obedience and holiness, then it seems reasonable to believe that sin and evil can arise when God chooses not to act, to pull back, to just say, all right, you want to do it, do it. God's not causing it. He's not forcing us to do it. He is not uh, saying, this is what I, he, he's not saying, you're going to do this, Dan. But rather he says, okay, pull back. And Dan does what Dan does. I'm a sinner. And I'm going to break under that human nature that I have that struggle, that flesh and the spirit and all those battles that we have. And what happens is, when that occurs, God permits the natural tendencies that are in us, the sinners that are in us, to willingly do what comes natural. We choose sin. I love what one person told me. We're not sinless, but as Christians, we sin less. And so God is using all these things. He's got a purpose, even the difficult things in your life. You see, God is sovereign over all things, all things, including evil, in order to fulfill his purposes for his glory and for our good. Here's some more verses about God being sovereign over all things. Take a look at Daniel chapter 4. I, I'll stop one second. Don't read it. I want to tell you the background before you read it. There was a guy who was ruling the world. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was the world power. He's another one of these guys that was the most powerful man in the world. Had the greatest army, wealthy and all, right? He's the guy who he said, everybody's going to bow down to me because I'm a god. And so he's taught, everybody come in and bow down. And three guys didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, all right, throw them in the fire. 
They didn't bow to me. And so they throw the, these three guys in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar says, there's a fourth one in there. And he's like an angel. And they didn't burn up. They walk out of the fire. That's the guy. He thought he was a god. He was the most powerful man in the world. And God literally brought him to his knees. The guy was on his hands and knees, barking like a dog. He lost his mind. And God brought him to that place. He absolutely humbled this man. And then in God's kindness, he lifted that craziness. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar had to say about that. Look at this. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. God did a miracle right there. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is ever an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? He's saying, He is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over everything on the earth and everything created. And he is going to do what he wants to do. And no one can say, You are unjust. Why did you do that? Because he's sovereign. And he's got a purpose. And Nebuchadnezzar got it. But you see what happened? He was brought down to his knees, the very ruler of the world. And then we see in Isaiah 43, 6-7, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Stop right there. Do you realize that if you're a Christian today, that verse is talking about you? That's talking about you. Because look what it says as we continue on. Everyone, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He's talking about all believers in the future. And nothing can withhold that from God. And you see why? Why? He says right here, whom I formed and made. Why? Whom I created for my glory. There's a purpose behind it. God is doing something in the world. He's doing something in your life. And if you're like me, you probably feel this way. I can't understand this doctrine fully. This is so hard to accept. Like I said, Romans 9 isn't hard to understand. It's just hard to accept. But we accept other things that we don't fully understand. Let me ask you. You understand how a virgin could conceive? I don't. Not the technicalities of it yet. Do you understand how Jesus could be fully God and fully man at the same time? I don't. I don't know how that happens. How can God be omnipresent everywhere all the time? I don't understand that. Do I accept all those truths? Yeah. Why? Because the Bible says it. I believe the word of God. So there's all kinds of things that we accept, even though we do not fully understand them, because God's Word says it. And that's where we have to default, is God's Word. That's why I say, please read God's Word. You know, it's okay if you disagree with me, but I would encourage you to do this. Dive into the Word of God and prove me wrong. And then come, let's have a talk, because I don't want to know feelings and emotions and this doesn't make sense or whatever. Show me God's Word. Because that's where we have to rest 
And like I said, I came to this crisis in my faith. I was reading things, and I said, that is not what I believe. Well, Dan, you got a choice here. Believe what it says, or just keep believing what you hope is true, but it seems to be contrary to the Word of God. And as I said last week, God is sovereign over all things, or he is sovereign over nothing. It's that simple. There's a lot of things we might say we don't know about, but what do we know? How can, where, where can we focus then? Well, we do know a whole bunch of truths about who God is. Who is God? What is he like? Well, he's supreme. He's above all. He's perfect in every way. He is sovereign. Our God is ruling and reigning the entire universe. Exactly. It says, it says in Scripture in Matthew, a bird doesn't fall to the ground without God knowing and directing. It's a bird. He's sovereign. We know that. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He created everything we see out of nothing. That's what the Word of God says. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than God. He created everything out of nothing. What else is true that we know about God? That he is all wise. He is all wise. And so when we run into a conflict where we say, I don't agree with that, and it seems like God's word says the opposite, who's all wise, you or him? Well, he is. So I default to God. God, you're all wise. I know that. I know you're supreme and you're sovereign, Lord, and you're omnipotent and you're all wise. Lord, and you're merciful. That's what your word says. And it says that he is loving. That's who our God is. He is loving. He is tender. That's our God. He is just. He is holy. So when we run across things that we don't understand, let's remember what we do know about God and who he is and how he responds. That's our God. And we know that he is doing everything for his glory. We don't understand how but we know that that's true because God's word says that. And we know this, that he can do infinitely more than our finite minds think possible. He's God. And so when we come to these places of of examining God's word and, and struggling with understanding it or our heart just pulled the other way, let's default to God And when things don't make sense and we say, well, how could a loving God do this? Well, do you believe he's a loving God? And if you do, then he's got a purpose in it that we don't see, even though it's hard things, difficult things. He's got a purpose, and he's working it for his glory. And we may someday know what that is, and we may not. But we can trust in who God is and that he is sovereign over all things, all things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that is so clear. I'm glad that you did, Lord, when you gave us your word, that it was for people like me who are just common people. I don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand it. Thank you for that, God. And I thank you for your spirit who dwells within us, all the believers, that you open up your word to us. It's just 
we, the truths we understand are because you open up our hearts and our eyes. Lord, we want to thank you for being such a good and kind God. And I want to thank you for being sovereign, that we do not have to work, we do not have to walk in fear in any way today because you are sovereign. No matter what the world brings us, Lord, whatever is good or evil, Lord, we know that you're sovereign over it and you have a purpose in it. So help us to trust. Help us to lean upon you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.